clear the stage and set the sound and the lights ablaze If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's fueling half revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can
and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols. So, yesterday, Jessica Krieger sent that to Jen and I, and I was like, that's the heart of it. That's the heart of what this church is going for, what we're chasing after. See, in Joshua, Joshua commands the people, and he says, you must cast down your idols and yield your hearts to the Lord. But you see, we have it all mixed up when we come to church. We're like, well, maybe God will crush my idols, and he'll help me yield my heart. But see, what the Bible says is that we have to do it, that we have to to yield our hearts to the Lord and be a church who is submitted fully to him. You see, today we're talking about aligning for glory, aligning for glory. And what that means is getting ourselves ready for what God wants to do in our lives and church. Jesus said, I have given you the glory my father gave me. But I think if he was here today, he would say this to us, but you're living off matchsticks of my glory when I want a blazing torch, a blazing wildfire, because my glory can't be hidden. You don't light it and put it under a bed. It's for all to see the whole world. And I believe that there's a glory that's coming to this church. And we want to be perfectly positioned for what God wants to pour out at TBA. How many of you know the problem is not on God's end? He's good, generous, and ready to bless What we want to do is get ourselves aligned so he fills us with glory overflowing. But if our lives are filled with other things, the cup's already full, isn't it? We must cooperate with him. He has a will and we have a will. Which do you think needs to submit? Us, right? We exist for God. He does not exist for us. And until we understand that we exist for him, we will never know our purpose for being. But when we're ready for glory to consume us, we need something that is very practical. We need focus. You see, Paul always had focus. He always talked about it. And we read about it in our F260 reading plan. And it's in 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, don't you know that all the runners in the stadium run, but only one gets the prize. So run to win. Everyone who competes practices self-discipline in everything. Remember that, self-discipline in everything. The runners do this to get a crown of leaves that shrivel up and die, but we do it to receive a crown that never dies. And I love what he says right here. So now this is how I run, not without a clear goal in sight. I fight like a boxer in the ring, not like someone who is shadow boxing. Rather, I'm landing punches on my own body and some doing it like a slave. See, when when Paul's talking about running the race, he's not talking about competing with each other. He's competing with himself. He's boxing himself. And he says, I do this to be sure that I myself won't be disqualified after preaching to others. Paul says, I have a clear goal in sight. And he says, I practice self-discipline, or the NIV that I use says, I go into strict training. I get myself ready. So here are those two things. I get myself ready, and I have a goal. We take these steps into the glory of God. The first step is to get myself ready. 
And I want to use a word for that. What does it mean to have self-discipline? What does it mean to go into training? It's the word consecrate. Consecrate. And two scriptures paint a picture of preparing our hearts, going into strict training, getting ready for glory to come. And the first is found in the Old Testament. It says the priest would go around and anoint the temple to get it ready for glory to come. But one of my favorites is in Joshua 3. In Joshua 3, the children of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And he says, get ready. My people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow God is going to do amazing things among you. Did you notice the order? Consecrate ourselves and then God will do amazing things. We have it backwards. We have a part and God has a part. Ours is first. Get ready. Go into training. Get into self-discipline. Is your heart ready for glory? A few weeks ago, I told you about the glitter bomb that went off in my house. So some of you were here. My son Jason was making an amazing Mother's Day gift for his mom. And of course, glitter was all over our house now. And God was like, that's kind of like my glory. When you get prepared and it comes, it gets over everything. But see, Jesus, Jason was intentional with the glitter And the end result was glitter everywhere. Consecration is intentional on our part. Think about it. Jason prepared. He got all those things out that were necessary. Glue, box, scissors, and loads of glitter. I mean, loads of glitter. But what was the call of action the Israelites would have heard when Joshua said, consecrate yourselves? See, for them, they would have known immediately. It was a separation from anything unclean in their lives. Touch no unclean thing and come out in the midst of them. In the New Testament, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, we can be a vessel of use or of no use. But listen to what, what he says when he's talking to Timothy. But if a man therefore cleanses himself from these things, and we'll talk about these things in a second, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, Paul told Timothy that if he wanted to be a vessel of honor, someone whom God would really use in a special way, that he should cleanse himself of these things. See, consecrating himself would prepare him for the things God had for him. See, when Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy to cleanse himself from these things, it was in the context of doctrinal purity, of not quarreling over things in the church, of fleeing youthful lust and pursuing the things of God. This means that if we want to consecrate ourselves like Joshua told the people in Joshua 3, 5, then we need to repent of false beliefs, this mixing of the word of God with the world. We need to stop quarreling over things in the church and insisting on our own ways. It means means we need to clean up our lives of every kind of lust, pornography, wrong movies, books, every kind of immorality, as well as rededicate ourselves to seeking God with all our hearts. Consecration is a call to address anything that would contaminate your relationship with God. It's a call to holiness, to obedience in every area of your life. Nothing less will do. See, the word consecrate is the Hebrew word kadash. And it means holy, set apart. It's very near the same word that the angels say around God's throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It means to be sanctified a separation from anything in the world that contaminates that relationship with Jesus. And the same is true for us today. If we want to consecrate ourselves before God, 
to prepare for him to do something special among us. We need to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The scriptures say, you do it. You do it. You purify yourself of those things. James 4.8 says this, and I love how this is worded in the New Living Translation. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Sounds a lot like what Joshua said. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. In Hebrews 10, 22, it says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Beloved, we need to draw near to him. People say this, well, I can draw near to him anytime I want. Well, that's true in a certain sense because you don't have to pay the price. Jesus paid the way in, right? But see, there's a certain reverence in approaching a king. There's a certain approach when addressing the lover of your soul. There's a certain holiness when you approach majesty. To get your heart right is appropriate. See, we don't just say this. Yeah, I'm filled with idolatry and I haven't chosen you. And you know, you probably don't really care about that. So bless me, Father, because I'm slothful and lazy and I love my stuff. You know you do it because I've done it. Don't act like you haven't said that. Maybe you didn't say that. But we show God that all the time. I do. But we are called to consider our ways. Yes, Jesus paid the price. Thank you, Jesus. But you have to cleanse yourself of anything that contaminates. You need to challenge your disobedience. Disobedience looks like you being God. You're like this. God, I have my calendar app open. I may be available. I'll obey you if you inform me about what you're going to do. And if I like it, I'll obey it. That's being God. You're saying, God, you're my servant. Tell me what your request is and I'll consider it. But obedience is saying yes to God before you know what he's asking. And listen, some of the places he's going to ask you to go, things that are going to be in your life are not going to be easy, but that's life in general. Might as well go it with God, right? You need to challenge your idolatry. Anything that goes ahead of God. Listen, I know many of you are like, does this Christianity thing even work? But here's the problem. Is your heart's already full of something else besides Jesus? You can't hear him because of idols. Sports, education, video games, entertainment, working out, food. Amen, food. Even your family can be an idol. See, it's not necessarily evil things. But it's anything you put ahead of the Lord, that's an idol. You need to say, Lord, I'm ready to smash the idols. I'm tired of them ruling my life. See, here's the deal. If we fail to take the initial step of consecration, we might deprive ourselves of the greatest blessing, God himself. Because when you've tasted him, it's not a guilt or condemnation thing. It's a thing of pursuit, a passionate pursuit of the love of Jesus. See, God doesn't need clever people. He needs clean people through whom he can conquer the promised land. Are you clean? Are you clean? But you see, it's really practical, getting ourselves positioned and ready for glory to come. Consecration is really practical, and consecration takes focus, intentional focus. God has something for your tomorrow, a destination. 
For Joshua and the people, it was the promised land. Consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow you'll see amazing things that go across the Jordan River. For us as a church and as individual believers, God has a dream for your life, a purpose. And Paul says that purpose and dream that God gave me is reaching the lost. I keep the goal before me. See, I don't want this to be like a goal seminar. But Paul says it over and over again. Goals are practical parts of focus and consecration. For example, Moses, when he was coming down Mount Sinai, told the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves. But how did he say to do it? Go wash your clothes. It was really practical. They were unclean. The problem is there's no clarity in your walk with God. You never go where you actually want to go or that God wants you to go because you're living in vagueness. You're living in vagueness. In Philippians 3, Paul says, I have the goal in mind. In Philippians, in our verse in Corinthians, I keep the goal in sight. Goals are biblical if they're God's goals. Some of you need goals in your life. God directed goals. God authored faith goals because you're drifting and it's vague. You need targets. You need focus. It's God authored, authored way to get you where he wants you to go. Did you know that Jesus had goals? In Luke 13, the Pharisees tell Jesus this. They say, go away because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox Herod that I cast out demons and heal today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I reach my goal. Notice he has a goal and it's time bound, three days. Another time, Jesus says this. They say to him, why don't you just stay with us? It's, it's getting night out. Stay with us, Jesus. He says, no, I have a goal. I have other towns that need to hear the good news. Jesus is focused. He's going somewhere. In Revelation, it says, they followed the lamb wherever he went. He's going somewhere and he's going there at certain times and he's asking you to follow him. And in Hebrews, it says this. Listen to what it says in Hebrews. It says, by this time, remember that, by this time, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to show you again the elementary truths of the faith again. Do you hear what he's saying? That means there was a time that they were supposed to step into what God had for them, but they didn't step into it. Did you know that God has timing for your life? He has things he wants to accomplish by certain times. Listen, you can fail and miss it. You can get ahead of him or rebel and pursue the world and miss it. And he loves you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you when you fail or that he's given up on you. But you can fail and miss it. I've been, man, I've missed it so many times. But I love it because he has a wonderful GPS system. He can reroute you when you fail. But it can take longer to get to the destination. You have a divine appointment, and if you miss it, you have to reschedule it, and it puts delay on your life. And some of you are living with delay on your life. Some of you are two or three or four years behind. Listen, I'm not saying live in the shame of regret. That's not what I'm saying. But regret is important. See, we're, we're kind of in a pampering culture. And we need to understand that regret isn't all that bad. If it's guilt and shame, then it is. But if it's God-directed, then you can learn the right and wrong way to do things. It's not all that bad. You see, we need to align with heavenly goals so glory can come, God's goals. We can say we want glory to come, but until we get really practical about it and submit, and really the word I should have been there was trade our dreams and goals for heaven's dreams and goals, glory won't come. 
You got to die to your own dream. And what's funny is when you do, the very thing you don't want to do, you find that God's desire is more fulfilling. The dream is more fulfilling. His dream for you, it's so much better his way. We're going to sing that in a little while. It's so much better his way. But you have to align yourself with heaven's dreams and goals. Goals help us get somewhere. It's not where we want to go, but where Jesus wants us to go for the saving of lives. When Paul says, I only, I says only one gets the prize and I run to win the prize, this is not competition with the rest of the body of Christ, but it's to encourage competition with a lesser, lesser version of yourself and who Jesus created you to be. Are you boxing your body like he said in Corinthians, making it submit? A competition to who you really are called to be, the destiny that God has for you. See, Paul is saying, my efforts are all leading to something. So can I ask you, are you just logging in time? Step into God's plan for your life. Begin to set biblical goals, God honoring and authored under his Holy Spirit. Listen, you can say, I don't have goals. Listen, I'm a big hippie. I don't know if you've heard my testimony, but I was in Phoenix. And before Christ found me at 20, I was traveling around in New Mexico and Arizona and camping out with my hippie friends. I was a big hippie. Hippies don't make goals. Well, they do because everybody's got goals. You say you don't have goals, but everybody does. It's possible. And listen to this. It's possible to have goals that aren't authored by heaven. And you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He says, I detest those goals. And he hates them. And this is the reason why. Because they take you off course. They take you off course. Are they God's goals for your life? They propel us forward. They get us going for something. See, you can set goals because Jesus and Paul did. Do you know what Satan's goal is for you? is to keep it a dream so you'll never arrive at your destiny. So how can I get there? This is what you need to do. You need to get on your knees and pray and seek the face of the Lord. Start with that prayer list of dreams and goals. Ask him for what are some goals I need in my life. How do I consecrate to prepare myself? Don't be vague. Don't go at it in vagueness. What desires need to be aligned with yours? What idols have become the goal of my life that I need to surrender? See, if God is with us in the process of forming the goal, he's in the process of fulfilling the goal. And he's using the failures or times we don't wait for him as part of the process. Some of us have given up on dreams because we haven't been effective in getting there. And what we've been missing are faith goals that take us across the Jordan into the abundant life Jesus has for us. What about you, TBA? You see, I believe part of our goal as a church body is to consecrate ourselves through prayer. Prayer prepares the way. I believe this is our part. If we want to see God do awesome things and amazing things, we need to consecrate ourselves for tomorrow he will do amazing things amongst us. That's why we have the war room over here, the side room. We are trying to build a house of prayer, not just build a room, but become a people of prayer. The room just represents a movement. But listen how he wants us to consecrate ourselves. And this is a broken record scripture. This is the broken record scripture, ready? Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 15. He says, when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, 
And that's a picture of the Spirit of God. Or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I love what he says. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to their prayers offered in this place. Do you hear that? God is looking for vessels to manifest his son in. But there is an if. There is an if. If my people will pray, if they will turn from their wicked ways, if they will seek my face. Listen, when God says if, we should pay close attention because this is what he's saying. You can miss it. You can miss it. But he's also saying, I want to open up the heavens and send the rain of my Holy Spirit on the church. But he says, if, if. You see, this is the true test for the church is what you do with the if. Not just for our church, but for each of you. What do you do with the if? What do you do with it? It's a call to action, to consecration, to align ourselves with his glory. See, I believe this. God wants the glory level to rise in this place, but selfishness consumes that. We have to consecrate ourselves. Personal reform comes at personal cost. I love David in the Bible. King David, man after God's own heart, he was willing to pay the cost. I want to manifest a presence in my life like King David did. David's longing was for the presence and to build a house or a temple for his presence, just like we're trying to build a house of prayer. But it's really interesting in Psalm 132. He says this, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. David's writing in the third person. It's kind of interesting. Isn't that weird that he says this? And watch what he says right after this. Remember all my afflictions. Then listen to what he says. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a house, a temple. David declared war on comfort. He said, I refuse to let the spirit of this age drown out the dream that God has birthed in me. I declare war until God's presence is back in the midst of his people. And he didn't just have a dream, but plans, specific God-given details and goals. But David declared war on inaction, on comfort. See, we say by our lack of attendance in the war room that there's better things for our time, energy, and our bodies. Beloved, I want to tell you, there are no shortcuts and there's nothing new under the sun to see the move of God. It's prayer. It's building a house of prayer. It's a call to prayer, fasting, humility, and action. And we have to do it together. David was consumed by seeing it done. I long to see men lead the way. I'm going to throw him under the bus again. But Derek Nicholson at our family gatherings looked at this list of things to be praying for and things that we need to do. And he said, if the men of the church would just step up, we wouldn't even have this list. I long for men to lead the way. And men, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This isn't a pampering sermon. 
Right now, our women are leading the way in the war room. I long to see our places of prayer in the war room filled. But more than filled, I long to see what happened when God answers prayer and our faith starts to get built up because we see all the goodness and greatness of our God. When with signals of heart together, we build a house of prayer for him to move upon those prayers. I long to see Brandon create the videos that will be made of testimonies of the loss of being saved, of miracles happening, of healing breaking out, of people being sent to the nations to witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. TBA, children of God, sons and daughters, I leave you with the last thing the Apostle John wrote in 1 John. Close your eyes for a second. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's consecration. Declare war on comfort, on apathy. Let's align ourselves with him. You can open your eyes. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Declare war on comfort. Go to the nations. Go to your neighbor. Go. This morning, as the band comes up, I put a picture of the war room wall. And on that wall, we have all the different prayer requests on there. And if you've never been in there, I challenge you at the end of the service, just go in there and look around. But this morning, I put up a bunch of sheets of paper. It's the paper that we actually use in there and a few pens. And if there's things that you need prayer for, write it down. You don't have to write your name. Write it down so people are praying for it. And as we worship together, it's so much better to go God's way. It's so much better. It's so much better to go God's way. I know it gets hard at times. I know sometimes it can be even crushing. But I'd rather be crushed inside the will of God than crushed outside of the will of God because I've been there. I've been there. And I repented and I came to him because it was better to be with my Jesus and to go through suffering than to be without him. What about you? What are the idols in your life? How do we get you ready? How do we get me ready? How do we get this church ready? How do we call every ministry to say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, God is going to do amazing things. That's what our king wants to do. That's what he wants to do in your life right now. So if you want, you can come up here. This, you, there's no expected response. But if you want to come up here, you want to write a prayer request down, you can fold it over. Don't write your name if you don't want to. If you want to bow over here, if you need prayer at Next Steps, right back there, there'll be a few people available for prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, call on the name of Jesus and be saved. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, open up right now and give your life to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that God, you've called us to be a people of consecration. That Father, you've called us to be a people that you're pleased with, Father. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name right now, Lord, that you bring your heavy conviction over our lives, a conviction that leads us to life, a conviction that leads us to your love. Father, we don't understand sometimes that it's our idols, God, that keep us from your love. And the more distant we get, the more we forget your goodness and greatness. Father, you know how we fail. Thank you that you have a GPS system. Thank you that you reroute us to your throne. 
Father, today for some, they need to be rerouted to you. There's some right now that just need to be giving their lives over to you, Jesus. So Father, I just bless everyone in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move on hearts and minds. Lord, your word says that the righteous person invites discipline, invites correction. I know that's hard for me, Father. I repent of that, that sometimes I don't invite your correction. God, you don't want us to be a pampered church. You want us to be a powerful church in Jesus Christ, your son. God, we're done with matchsticks. We want the blaze of your glory in this place. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.